Welcome back, everybody, to the TV Flashcast Doctor Who edition. I'm Jason Snell. Every week I talk to interesting people about this week's Doctor Who episode right after we watch it. And this time, because uh, fortunately, these two wonderful panelists on the Excellent Verity podcast are not going to be on talking about this week's episode. I've stolen them for this podcast. Erica Ensign, hello. Hello. I'm, I'm so pleased to be stolen. And I also stole Liz Miles. Hi, Liz. I'm so glad it's the Mark Gatiss episode. Yeah, we... we <laughs> Let's we, speak no more of sleep oh. no more. <laughs> I'm so well, sorry, fans of sleep no more, if you exist. Um, uh, I, yes. I don't think you should be too worried there. Out there on Neptune. Mm-hmm. Neptune. I worry. It's a, it's a different podcast, different audience. Yeah. These people might expect. I don't know. They, they 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 might love Neptune a lot. Well, if you if you're looking for reasons to love Sleep No More, you can listen to the episode Liz and I did, where we tried very hard to come up with positive <laughs> things to say about it. Oh, I was. <laughs> So enjoy oh, I feel, that. I, feel, I, I, but the good news is, yeah, this was a way better episode than that. In fact, that's a low, such a low bar. It's not even fair. Um, this is Thin Ice by Sarah Dollard. I, I really, really enjoyed this episode. I'm not sure. I'm sure somebody will come in and, and tell me all the reasons why the plot doesn't hang together, but I kind of don't care because of the doctor and Bill. That for me, that was the doctor and Bill conquered everything about this episode. Mm-hmm. That yeah. seems to be a hallmark of this season so far that I just I don't even care that much about what else is going on because I love the doctor and Bill so much. And this this took their relationship a step further than the last episode, which was a step further than the episode before. It's so fun to watch it grow. Well, it turns out I do care more about the doctor and Bill more than about that sentence completely parsed correctly because last week's episode I was like eh, all right yeah I can see it wasn't like terrible or anything but I watched it and was like okay that was fine I guess if you not watch Doctor Who ridiculously a lot which sadly I have hmm. and the first the, the opening I very much enjoyed but this this was like oh my god oh my god I'm so annoyed I have to go and do silly podcasts now because I want to watch that again right yeah. away <laughs> Yeah, I, I was as I was watching. I had to watch this one by myself because my family was out doing things, and usually we will watch them all together. And about five or ten minutes, and I thought it's going to be fine for me to watch this again with them. It'll be fine. I, I I'll take that one. I, I'm happy to watch it again uh, with my family because I enjoyed it so much. The the I mean, it's not like there isn't a plot here. There's a very there's there's uh, there's so this story it's set in 1814. In February, it's the the last great freezing of the Thames, and there's a frost fair out on the on the river, and it looks it looks pretty good. They've got the you know people on the on the ice and the different tents and things like that. There's the period costumes and things. It's 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 fairly lavish, especially for uh, for Doctor Who to to do all of that. And there's this story about a, a a monster beneath the ice, and and we find out sort of like what you know why bad things are going on and people are being sucked under the ice and all of that. Um, that's all interesting and we should talk about that. But but what I what was really struck by is like every point in the story, I felt like it was almost like we it was an annotated version of a simple Doctor Who story because at every point, Bill would say, why don't we do this? We should do this. You know, what's your history here? Or she stops the plot and starts to ask the doctor questions about it. And that... Uh, the way I just described it sounds terrible. It was delightful, like at every point, like doctor, explain why this happens. Um, it, it was so great. Just the dialogue. I could, I could live just on the dialogue of this episode. Yeah. I think one thing that um, I 
don't enjoy that I know a lot of people do about new companions is when they're all like starry eyed and ooh, isn't it amazing? This is magical. And I'm like, yeah, but I've seen this like 20, 30 times before already. Okay. Right. So it's not for me, but, but what is new and different each time is the character interactions between them and how they play off each other. And we had Clara for a very long time, two and a half years. So it's been a very long time since we've had some fresh character interactions and not ones that are developing based on what's gone before. And here, the absolute standout, magnificent moment that just made me, I may have leapt up my chair and done little flappy hands as I leaned towards the television so that I wouldn't miss a syllable of it, was that bit where she's asking him, have you killed anyone? And it was just, I found it utterly devastating both in the way she played it, in the way he played it, and in the way that it was framed. Because this, we watched, you know, you're a fan of Doctor Who, you watch Doctor Who, the Doctor kills people. The Doctor kills a lot of people. A lot of people die all around the time. And sometimes there's, I don't agree with the thing where it's like, oh, he's death, he brings death with him, he turns people into weapons. I think that's, no, not really. It's just, he gets involved in very dangerous situations and it's extremely difficult to pick a path through those volatile situations that people die a lot. And um but she is seeing him as this guy who's her, her tutor at university. Mm. And I was just watching that thinking, oh my God, okay, so I have this amazing tutor thinking, if I had an amazing tutor at university, and it's like, what would happen if I find out that they killed someone? And not like doctorish versions of things, just one person. And it really sort of brought a realism to it that really hit me very, very hard, that how weirdly scary this is from her perspective, that he has killed someone when to the audience who has been fans for a long time, that's just sort of background noise now. And to have it hit home as being a horrendous thing, I was like, oh God, that's wonderful. That was just, that was beautifully done in every way for me. I, I, I absolutely adored it. Beautiful moment of Doctor Who. Yeah, I I am one of those people who really like seeing the new companion and the way that they react to everything. And 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 I I love the the starry-eyed ooh this is cool thing, but the thing that I like the best is seeing the differences in each companion's not just interaction with the doctor, but reaction to the experience of traveling with him. And I am loving Bill so much because, uh, Jason, I love how you put it, that it's an annotated version. I feel like this whole season so far, Bill is like, <laughs> she's like the live action annotation of of Doctor Who as it stands at this point in the show's, in the show's history. Because she asks all of these questions that are the kind of thing that I never, I would never think to ask. And they're, you know, some of them are very meta questions. Like, why is, why did you name TARDIS in English? And they just move on because that's a funny joke. But, but she's, she's constantly questioning him about the way that he does things, about where they're going. And, and I love that because it makes perfect sense. He's her tutor. He has been tutoring her for quite a while before she ever travels with him. So they have this this interaction that happens on a regular basis and it carries forward as they, they start this this traveling. And when you get to that scene, I mean, th- there was a little bit of it in the in the tr- next time trailer, the scene that, that Liz was talking about, the have you killed people? And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, this might be the episode where we get it in capital letters, because every companion in New Who has has had a moment where they realize just, you know, who the doctor is and, and how he sees the world differently and experiences things differently. You know, with Clara, we got it in Hyde when he's, you know, they went to the end of the world. And, you know, actually in Rose, <laughs> with Rose, we got it in the end of the world. So 
we get to see each different character have that moment. And I like that there was a slightly different spin on it here. It wasn't so much you are this, you know, this, this great being who sees us all as as mere tiny flecks in the world. It was it was the, the way that he actually looks at life in general. And her her question, yeah, about have you killed people and how many and Liz, you are so right. The way they played it, I was just, I was holding my breath watching yeah. them, watching them do that because I didn't want to miss a syllable either or, or just, you know, an, an inflection in like their eyes or the way they were moving. And it was, it was hard to watch a little bit because those are really tough questions. But at the same time, everything the doctor said back to her made such perfect sense. I mean, he is a character who is 2000 years old and if he were to take on the emotional burden of of seeing every child die in the way that somebody like I would or the way that Bill did, um, having seen this for the first time, he would never get anywhere and he probably wouldn't have made it to, you know, 20 years old, much less, much less 2000. So I was kind of shocked that that in a good way, in a very good way, that a couple of scenes later, we get Bill just sort of absorbing all that and mentally processing it and and realizing he's that that's right this is this is the way things happen i like that she cuts the doctor off when he's saying sometimes you know sometimes the only choices you have are are bad choices or whatever that line was and she's like no 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 i'm not letting you get away with that i asked you a yes or no question you need to answer it but the fact that we got those those half lines of him explaining what is what is really the case that that this is a situation where there's no good way out of it at this point there's no way to save that kid then yeah i'm just i'm i'm still a little bit flaily i think the the one of the interesting challenges with any new companion is you end up with um in one way they're a viewpoint character because they're a human being from planet earth and often contemporary time so they're they are a, an audience surrogate in a, a little bit but because um, there are so many companions, and if you've been watching for long enough, you understand the Doctor and they don't. And so I found myself while watching this, you know, I, I was in his shoes more than hers in some cases because I was trying yeah. to think, how do you, how do I answer that if I'm him? Because I know he's 2,000 years old. So how, why do you say it? And what he says is, I'm 2,000 years old and I've never had time for the luxury of outrage. He's trying to explain to her, like, it's been, it's not like I, I kill people every day, but I have seen everything. I've been around for thousands of years. Uh, but it, it's, it's, um, it's a challenge because you want to, and I think the show wants to have us uh, view it from both angles at once, which is as a human being, seeing the Doctor anew through new eyes, understanding um, what he really is like, and seeing Bill come at it from the perspective, like you said, Liz, of being uh, he's her tutor. She she expects, even going through last week's episode, she expects this to be more of an adventurous sort of like travelogue where you stick your head out at various points in time and space. And she's discovering if she didn't do it last time, she discovers it here. That's not what happens on the show, right? On the show, people will die and some people will, we will have to allow to die or kill because they're bad people. Uh, And that's just, that's just part of it. And she rolls with it. I like that. I love that about her that we see her. She doesn't harp on the same point. She is, she is interrogating him as she observes him and like, continues asking more detailed questions rather than just sort of sticking to why why are you doing this and i really appreciate that about bill too 
Mm-hmm. And she is she is clearly to some extent a geek because she she knows <laughs> about time travel. I adore that when she walks out of the TARDIS, the first thing she asks him as they're going on. What are the rules? Mm-hmm. Like, she wants to know, okay, how do I comport myself in this situation? I don't want to step on a butterfly. And they have that fun little conversation about that. Like, she has thought about time travel in the same way that a lot of viewers have thought about time travel. And I love that they are able to sort of interrogate that idea. And, and it sort of that thread runs through the rest of it until we get to the very end. Well, let's uh, let's awesome. pour one out for our friend Pete. <laughs> that was... T- Oh my God, I love that so He died, much. I guess, He's, or didn't ever live. I, I don't know. I want all the Pete fanfic. That's, that's, um, but, oh but in the end, what does he say? And this is, this is, I love it because he says it in that snappish doctor way of like, um, and, and we've seen a scene like this with a butterfly. Don't step on a butterfly then. It's fine, right? And here it's, it's just time travel. Don't overthink it. Just, it's fine. It's just time travel. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy the point that he makes about how, yeah, you every decision you make can change the course mm-hmm. of the future. And he's like, yeah, exactly the same as in your normal life, because that is to him, the present to her, her future is just as accessible mm-hmm. to him as the present right. and the past. So, I, I, oh, good God, my throat's gone weird. <coughs> Excuse me. So sorry. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that perspective as well there. The, the other... Um, the other back and forth that I really ni- I really liked is so it's th- there's multiple setups here. There's I'm two thousand years old and I've never had the time for the luxury of outrage. We let that sit there for a while. We go through the plot a little bit more. They're going to interrogate Lord Sutcliffe at his residence at his manor, and he warns her. And this is something that I felt like I'm not sure I've ever seen this in Doctor Who before, where the Doctor prepping to confront the pr- presumed enemy of this episode turns to the companion and says, let me do the talking. You have a bit of a temper. We're here to get information. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of interesting that like he's concerned that Bill is going to pop off on this guy and he wants to keep it level, which is great because it conceals what happens next, which is that he slugs the guy <laughs> immediately for being a racist jerk and insulting her. And that leads to a little bit later, her looking at him and saying, no time for outrage. Yep. <laughs> now, I admit that I saw that. I saw that coming a million miles away because when he said that, you know, I haven't had the luxury of outrage, I laughed out loud. I yeah. actually did one of those brat sort of things. So so when they walked in and he said saying the thing about, you know, you have a bit of a temper, I was like, oh, he's going to he's going to go off. It didn't go the way I expected. Oh, I expected him to go off on some self-righteous speech, which we got later. But uh, but yeah, I did not expect him to just haul <laughs> off and punch, punch the guy out. <laughs> Which yeah, and see, and that, that was the misdirection that worked on me. So by the time we got yep. back to the outrage callback, I was like, oh, good. I see what you did there. Because I, I just, I was, mm-hmm. uh, I was taken aback by the, no, 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 you have a bit of a temper here. But yeah, of course, it was, it was the double setup for that. And that was also, by the way, if you didn't, did you notice that he's introduced as Dr. Disco? Dr. Yes. Disco. Dr. Jackson. Disco. Oh. Dr. Disco, of course. <laughs> I've mispronounced it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a foreign oh. name. Dr. Dr. Disco. Um, yep. the, yeah, speaking of, yeah. Well, speaking of the fact that this guy is a complete racist, Lord that was another one of the moments that I loved so much <clears throat> uh, was earlier when, I mean, the, the very first thing that she says when the doctor's like, let's go is, uh, you know, she points at her face and goes melanin yeah. <laughs> because, you know, slavery is totally a thing. And the look on the doctor's face is he goes through a, a lot of different little things. He's like, oh yeah, you're right. But, um, and then she gets the dress, and I love how happy she is that the TARDIS has dresses and likes a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's her kind of lady. And then then they're wandering around, and as as we, again, saw in the Next Time trailer, she's like, you know, it's a lot blacker than uh, I was ex- 
expecting. And the doctor's line about, and so was Jesus. History is a whitewash. I was just yep. like jaw open. Yep. Wow. Well done. They'll, they'll oh, get some letters I, and good for them. I like the politics on the sleeve. I thoroughly approved of that for mm-hmm. for, for historical accuracy reasons, mm-hmm. if yep. nothing else. But um, I think it's interesting to contrast that with the way that we had uh, with Martha, because she makes the same yes. comment when she, on her first trip to the past, she points out, well, I'm black, isn't there slavery here? Now, there is 200-ish years difference between them, although the legal status of slavery in England hadn't changed all that much at the time um but the way the doctor reacts to both times is uh quite different i don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with the we're li- the approach taking the shakespeare code where it's we are acknowledging this but we are cus- brushing it off because we're going to have a lovely comedy thing but we're also not going to pretend that racism wasn't a thing here whereas mm. here he's very very serious about it, like yes it was but also the environment they walk into where it's not a sea of white is kind of, I don't know, I, I guess it, 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 I, I like that in a, in a, in a different way. It's, it's nice to have different approaches to how they're, they're, what, what they're going to do. Um, and I don't know if this, historically speaking, England was a lot less white by the 19th century than it was in uh, uh, Tudor times. Uh, this is historically accurate. There have been people of colour living in the United Kingdom contiguously for the past 450 years as a matter of historical record. And there probably were for a long time before that as well. Um, It's just that we haven't got constant historical documents that show that having happened in case, you know, they do get people saying Mm. silly things like Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen. Yes, it did. The, okay. <laughs> the um, I mean, literally in my notes about about Lord Sutcliffe when we when we meet, well, first off, when they they make they act, they do the psychic paper thing, which again, I, I really enjoy <laughs> how psychic paper can be used to get by about what would have required two minutes of explanation in the old Doctor Who series. It's like, look, mm-hmm. it's fine, um, but they they're like, oh yes, Lord Sutcliffe, of course. Do we know him? Yes, we do know him, of course. And that's when I wrote down. He insisted that we be here. Yeah, I, that's when I wrote down. I love Bill, and I love <laughs> I love her. At, at that moment, I really love her because she's learning, and this goes in part of this progression. Is like she's getting with it. She knows she knows the deal. She figuring it out and you can see it you can see her doing it in that case she's like yeah uh, totally we we're here we're here to see him and this is the um this is the point where there are also the jokes so we there is a having not recapped the plot there is a a a a creature living under the ice in the thames it's been there for a very long time we discover that it is chained so it's a it's it's the old it's a classic doctor who moment of the thing you think is the monster is actually the victim um and and uh, this is where they are dredging out its poop to use as fuel. That is a plot mm-hmm. point here that I think it even burns underwater. No, shh, cut away. Smash <laughs> cuts. See, awesome. I, I am planting a trivial flag that I will stand by and die to defend here. I'm calling oh. this the first Doctor Who historical since Black Orchid. Hmm. There are no science fiction elements in the story other than Doctor and his companions. I am that giant fish does not count. Firstly, it's a giant fish. It is a giant fish. We have giant fish. Secondly, Mm -hmm. that whole thing about burning underwater thing, we had Greek fire happened, all right? That was really hard to put out. So I'm Maybe that's what Greek fire was and that's why they can't can't remake it anymore. Exactly. Because all the fishies died out. There's nothing in the text... To make it absolutely true that it is or is not an alien fish. 
So Exactly. And I am choosing to believe that is a terrestrial fish. I have watched nature programs on the television. There is weird stuff in the ocean and it scares me. And that right. fish looked like one of them or more than one of them put together. And it swam, swam down deep after this to get away because it doesn't want to be, yeah. doesn't so, want to deal with us. We hope. Exactly. Unless it accidentally went to Greenland. Oops. Yeah. Sorry, Greenland. The, the, <laughs> the whole... The whole um, the whole thing with Lord Sutcliffe, though, I really like the confrontation there. The Doctor gets to be all charmingly self-righteous in a great way, mm-hmm. including the line that I wrote down that I really love, which is, I preferred it when you were an alien, um, because that explained the lack of humanity. That's a great... Oh. Um, I love that. Mm. I love that. Because I, like, so I assume this that. is an alien killing people because they're an evil alien monster. It's like, no, it's just a guy, and he's awful. I- I was so so that I was I was very big on a line very close to that one, which was human progress isn't yeah. measured by industry; it's measured yes. by the value of a single life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God damn right, doctor! It's a great that, great exactly. speech. Another great Capaldi speech. Was, it was in that moment. I think was so important in the Bill and the Doctor <sighs> relationship because she has experienced watching him like not be terribly bothered by a kid getting sucked under the water. Like he's all all about his sonic screwdriver, like blowing it off and thank goodness it's okay and ignoring the fact that this kid just died and talking about the, the people that he has killed and, and watched die before. And then he gets this perfect opportunity to express how he really feels about life. And he does it in such a wonderful, heartfelt, you know, powerful way uh-huh. that she, she's like, okay, I get it. This is this is sort of the the final closing of the book on this on this issue. I think for them, is she's yeah. able to kind of put it to bed and and she comments on it later, asking, you know, are you really two thousand years old? Because I want to know how long it takes before you can make a speech like that. It was worth waiting for. Yep. Oh, oh I don't think you should say stuff like that when it's written by a writer person and you're saying that. I hope that <laughs> was, you're saying that, but you're writing. I don't mind because it was a good speech, sure but good also. Speech. I I I I shake my head and I'm amused <laughs> by that. But you don't think writers should be able to give themselves little, you know, subtle pats Not on the back the within same their own script? Thing as the, the, just we'll just done. pretend we'll just pretend that Stephen Moffat inserted that line into Sarah Dollar's <laughs> if, if script did, as, a, as did, an applause. That would be amazing and cool and awesome, mm-hmm. and I would love it. So, mm-hmm. but it is it is a stupendous script. It is absolutely gorgeous. There is line after line of. Lovely, beautiful, marvelous dialogue that makes me delightfully happy, and yeah. there are all such good moments. I suppose I don't know. I feel do I want to do I want to criticize a little bit? It, it doesn't feel like a proper criticism because this is just a personal preference thing here. But um, there is a moment in the house when they're talking to Lord Sutcliffe where he's like, um, "Oh, we're getting this. You know, we're feeding people to the fishy, and we're getting stuff." And he's like, well, "People die in the coal mines." And I'm like, that is very true. People, a lot of people die in the coal mines. They're stupendously dangerous at this time. And indeed, generally speaking, still are quite dangerous. And, uh, and that's where, uh, Britain's, the, the, the sort of fuel comes from the industrial, for the industrial revolution. So there are a lot of coal mines in Britain at this time. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it would have made it too complicated or less clean or a bunch of other stuff, but I kind of like the idea that we could have had a more complicated villain here who had found this alternative fuel source and thought that it was worth like sacrificing a few dregs of society in order to save 
you know, well, essentially, as far as they would be concerned, more dregs in the coal mines, but it would, it would save lives by this, by using this instead. And so defended it from that aspect rather than just, oh, I don't care about anyone. And chaining Which, up that, uh, an innocent monster fish. Yeah, yep. but it's, it's a monster been, fish. So It's been going on for, for <laughs> generations, apparently, the secret being passed down uh, again and again. I did like and, that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's the part of, uh, part of it that I just, I don't look too closely at because they didn't go into it right. deeply enough to, to tell me if it hangs together or not, or not. It certainly could if they gave me enough details. But um, the way that I was thinking about it when you were talking about the possibility of a, a, a different sort of character who actually cares, I, I wonder if somewhere back in in the earlier times of this yeah somebody did make that decision to however they managed to to chain this thing up and and discover that and you know maybe they were feeding it cows and right. foxes and, and stuff like that and and really were doing it for people for the, are free <laughs> yeah that that's that's actually how i how i read that when i thought about it for a minute is that that maybe what's happened is Lord Sutcliffe and people in his era have industrialized yep. the production of the fuel by chaining mm-hmm. it up. And previously, his ancestors would, you know, w- discovered that this creature came and they would give it an offering, and then they mm-hmm. would like they would they would discover the the poop where, however, they did that mm-hmm. and be like, oh, it's miraculous, this is wonderful. Um, and only now has it become like recently mm-hmm. entrenched where it's just chained up. We we treat it like a factory. Yeah you know and make it that much more awful thus you get the frost fairs because somehow this creature is making it colder i guess another another bit that was a little well okay plot hole hand wave blah blah yeah whatever the ice melts rapidly totally a thing that happens the loch ness monster (laughs) often accidentally freezes loch ness with its big fishiness It's a thing that happens another funny thing by the way speaking of which is that uh, the doctor refers to this as tiny the, this monster, yes. and also refers to it as a lockless monster. Yep, which I like made that very much made me laugh. It's a pun. It I is. Like it's good. I went I, for speaking for happiness points. I did love the costumes so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was enjoying the Doctor and Bill, and they're very good. Their normal costumes. Okay, maybe not the Doctors quite so much this season, but they're very good. But then they were like they came out of the TARDIS, and they were beautiful. And maybe they should just wear Regency clothes mm. all the time. Maybe that they will. Great. They still had them on at the end of the episode. That's possible. That, yes. Maybe mm-hmm. they will just keep them forever and ever. Why would they not? Why would it's they their go back special, to the boring their special tea drinking their special clothes? Tea, clothes. Yeah. tea with oh, a little bit of coffee in it for flavor. I, I clapped line. at that line. Oh, God. Oh. Yes. That was gross. Um, I know. You're, not, you're a tea drinker. I'm a coffee drinker. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I thought that was uh, funny. Uh, the, uh, let's see. What what else? Well, I, li- I like the I like the um, the clothes. That that is a lot of fun. I like the hat business. The doctor has a lot of hat business that he does because he gives the kid a hat at one point, and then he gets a hat, and then he's adjust he steals if you, it. If you watch, yeah, and if you watch Peter Capaldi, he's like adjusting it and wearing it low and picking it up and doing stuff with it, and it's kind of hilarious that the doctor is just kind of messing around with hats. He enjoys playing with with hats, and like literally in the episode, you can mm-hmm. you can see him doing. It is that. canonical that he likes hats. Mm-hmm. since forever mm-hmm. he is yeah. a big he is big on hats if there's one thing that the reign of terror is worth watching for it's for the very best of all possible doctor hats he's like <laughs> oh that's the biggest hat i want that hat and then he wears the hat it's great 
So he's a very you know, person. That is true. I feel like Peter Capaldi, being an old school Doctor Who fan, has <laughs> we've seen we've seen shades of a lot of different Doctors coming oh. through. You know, we've got the Hartnell, and we've we've certainly had the, the fourth Doctor and the third Doctor. Mm. I feel like the hat thing could have been a direct nod to, to <laughs> Troughton, early Troughton. I should like a hat like that. He is, he is coming across this episode. It really pings sort of early four to me, early Tom Baker mm. with mm-hmm. that that bizarre and wonderful combination of the delight and humor and also just the weird sincerity and weight and it's just oh he's so good he's so ridiculously good interestingly i felt like i i totally see that i agree with you liz but i felt like capaldi here was actually less severe than early tom baker i feel like early tom yes. baker when he gets gets cross and severe uh-huh. is is an order of magnitude more sort of frightening than what we have here in this current version of the 12th doctor he's really mellowed out Capal- over his yeah you're, you're right you're right i don't think he had really had a chance here to get his proper rage on like mm-hmm. if he had this was just like if, if anything, it was a disappointing villain to him because like, oh God, you're a human person doing rubbish human things also, <laughs> rather he, than alien menace I think out to take over the whole solar system. He enjoyed the, like, he we see him enjoying the uh, the conning, the con men and the crime going on. He just mm. he used that as like, this is delightful. This is wonderful. I love this. That That's really oh. good. And there, there's another scene that I felt like is is a classic Peter Capaldi moment, which is when they're talking their way in, when they're trying to find, they're trying to find the source, and they're at the docks, and they're talking about like a man in a tattoo of with with a tattoo of a ship on it. You're, we're at the docks. How could that be? And and he just is going talking to the guy, and he says, "Oh, you don't like tattoos? Maybe I don't like tattoos either. Look, we're bonding." And that moment I really loved because that's the doctor being like, "See, look at me. I can totally talk with people." And that he just doesn't get it. No. Oh, it's so charming. And then he also also doesn't understand the guy's reaction saying, "Uh, we're at the docks. You're talking about a ship. And the doctor's like, and? And Bill just literally steps forward and says, like, she takes over, takes control. Let me explain. Which is great. That's that moment Mm -hmm. where I, where I wrote, I think where I wrote down, I love Bill. It's like, she's like, I got this. But he's just like, no, we're bonding. And and that's a nice moment of the doctor being very Mm -hmm. excited and happy and kind of incompetent at what he's doing. But like, no, no, I've got this. I totally understand how to interact with other human beings uh, or with human beings. Like interacting with kids awesome uh, exactly leaders and bill just being like please stop yep the the kids were great i absolutely the poor kid mm-hmm. who got shafted in the eyes but he did the most amazing face as he grabbed the sonic screwdriver mm-hmm. off capaldi mm-hmm. the first time that was that was a, some proper grabby thief facing it was really good and the wee glass was adorable the whole time it was mm-hmm. it was ridiculous as a i was yep as an American watching this, I have to say this this pushes all the buttons of what we think of as like yeah, or, entertainment or just... from England. It's because it's like, oh, the costumes and we have there are dirty faced urchins stealing things. It's like it's basically yeah. Oliver, right? Um, yeah. Great. But the nice thing it did for, for me there was, uh, you know, it wasn't 
what a problem I often have with the with this period piece is is, is any romanticization of the past. Or and here it was firmly engaged with both classism and racism. We did have the acknowledgement that yes, the past was not as white as what is imagined in popular imagination, but we also had uh, someone being incredibly racist to Bill, mm-hmm. and part of the reason that uh, she could. Well, there wasn't anything stopping her moving around with that, but part of what help, would help her there was that she was dressed up as someone who was uh, upper middle class at least. Mm-hmm. And that can could open enough doors for you that you would to some extent be accepted if you were um, a higher class, but you weren't wholly white, as opposed to um, being poor. And not white being a, a delightful combination that would that would get you shafted much more easily, which is charming. But it engaged with these things. It said it's not it's not all the firm little boxes that we think of as today. And the past was also much worse in all the ways. It was uh, more complicated, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this really didn't. You're right. It didn't shy away from from sort of dealing with all of these things from. From the different yeah. sides, which yeah, I think that's I why this one hung hung a little bit better for me than than how it was dealt with in in the Shakespeare Code because because they came back to it. Like I appreciate wanting to you know that was a, you know kind of a lighthearted rompy story in yeah. a lot of ways. So it's fine to just you know get that out of the way and then move on with the episode. Here they I thought were just sort of getting it out of the way and moving on with the episode, but because of the nature of this particular episode and and the frost fair and the the rich people who are at the the root of the problem, it was it was an integral part of the story uh-huh. that yeah. had to to interact with that, and I thought that was that was really well done. Yeah, if anything, what the, I, I do appreciate it when they engage with classism because it's often um, more difficult and more over overlooked. And here, mm-hmm. that was that was very definitely the case. And touching on a little uh, criticism of British imperialism as well, because of course Lord Sutcliffe is a big fan of the good old British Empire, which mm-hmm. was. Which everybody loves, don't they? That's well, I mean, the best thing. If you want to view view this, it is it, as a uh, what the story is from the bottom. We learn from the bottom that there are there are poor children who are homeless who are um, who are stealing at the frost fair, and then you know we keep kind of ratcheting up. The doctor is finding out who's at the top of this pyramid, and it's Lord Sutcliffe. And so as he's doing that, he's going through all the layers of society, you know, quickly and not you know skipping over some maybe. But he's going through. He goes to the workmen. He goes to the and then he's got like the people who are running. The, the place and, and running the workmen and the guys who are out on the docks and then eventually he gets to Lord Sutcliffe and that's you know that's the we get to get that exploration of the people the weakest most um, on the edge of life people are down at the bottom doing this for this man in a in a manor house who's yeah. being made wealthy it's I also appreciate yeah. it's one of my favorite tropes of this kind of thing that just because something is illegal does not make it immoral and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, these are, these are, they're thieves. They're stealing things. It doesn't matter. They're stealing food and stealing stuff from people who are, don't, aren't going to miss it compared to right. if they don't have the stuff. They're going to starve and die. So it's therefore mm-hmm. mostly. It was it's, also interesting that that passel of kids was also multiracial. Like, you know, there's a lot of, of pigment in the skin uh-huh. of those kids to different degrees. And, and I like the idea that they get saved at the end. You know, sorry, sorry, little white boy, you didn't make it. But spider, um, but R.I.P. Spider, 
are R.I.P. Spider-Man. But the rest of them, then, you know, it, it, I like, first of all, I like the fact that, that Kitty is the one that's in charge. She's a little bit older. Uh-huh. She's a little bit tougher. And her skin is a lot darker than anybody else's. So I feel like that was that was some, some nice casting kind of showing that, yes, not only are we throwing in this line saying that uh, that London's a lot blacker at this time than I expected, but we're having, you know, putting the money where the mouth is and having major characters uh, who have a bigger speaking role than the rest of them actually casting a black actor for that, which I think, and I thought she was really good. Her uh-huh. performance was, and I would, I would absolutely love in, in a perfect world to have the BBC have a spinoff show of these kids as that, you know, now it's that they have Manor. Been, yeah, living in Sutcliffe Manor. I don't want it to be any kind of science fiction show. I don't want it to be like a Doctor Who spinoff. I want it to be basically just a soap opera-y type drama about what it is, you know, the 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 legal battle to to get them to be able to keep the house. And <laughs> then their struggles to, you know, sort of integrate into a posh society, uh-huh. which they can fit into now if they want to. They just have to learn the rules and then how they interact with the lower class as they grow up and do they change and you know that's i would watch the hell out of that show certainly Sorry, it's a future rest. future big finish audio coming i, I like <laughs> the legal i like the legally bit a little bit bleak house mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. cheerier cheery house cheery yeah. house yeah maybe they'll rename the house, house to to it'll be you know it'll be uh tardis house or, or bill house or something like that just to honor <laughs> I also i got the most I got this wonderful feeling right at the very new end of the episode when we sort of we got back to the doctor's study at the university and it was like, whoa, it's like we have a home now that's on Earth that's like, oh, I'm getting like warm, fuzzy, it's a little like, unit like a unit kind of thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, he's got a home, he has a place. It's, it's oh, it's Yeah, it was like when he was spending quite a bit of time in the late 19th century with Jenny and Vastrahanger. I know it's like, he has a place. Mm-hmm. Right. I like it when he has like a temporary real home and it, it felt, it felt warm the, and fuzzy. Where the TARDIS has a parking, a parking space <laughs> just made for it. Mm-hmm. The, before we get to the last scene which i do want to talk about i had a couple other things that that i suppose um some of one of these is counts as a flaily part but i'm going to say it which is another line that i really enjoyed was i don't know the answers only idiots know the answers it's a very doctor line and i liked it Mm -hmm. and and then he follows that up by saying i serve at the pleasure of the human race i and i really liked that too that that's the you know i can i can be the protector, but you know, my I'm not doing this because I'm doing what I think is right. What do you think, Bill? What what should I do here? And I thought that was really interesting to have him put kind of put it on her that way. I'm not sure I, I love that because does he not have his own opinions about what's going on? But I I do feel like this is a tutor moment that's happening. Yeah, I I liked the the push of the scene. I didn't like the line very much because it annoyed me in the same way that some lines in the West Wing annoy me. Um, <laughs> sorry, West Wing, don't yell at me. Um, but what? Well, I mean, I oh, think that I think that wording. I don't know if that wording precedes this, but I mean, the idea I serve at the pleasure of the president is yeah, that, the that phrase. Was, mm. Yes, I know. I just like okay, yeah. Americans, Americans, mm, um, ruin everything. But no, the I I was. <laughs> I would never say that. Um, <laughs> Let's keep it to yourself. That's good. 
<laughs> You're thinking oh, it goodness. though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My 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 thought has uh, killed <laughs> off here into well, nothingness. This is annoying. I had feelings. I had feelings about that too because I I felt like it was kind of again another ch- ch- character moment where we have sort of the doctor having it both ways because there are plenty of times when he's doing stuff on earth when he is just doing exactly what he wants but uh, jason i like that you characterized it as a tutor moment because that just yeah that sort of structure of their relationship gives everything a little bit of a different twist and a little different flavor so the idea that he is is trying to teach her i think in this episode that the main thing he's been trying to teach her uh, even if that's not what he set out to do at the beginning, is what it is like to live a life where your actions um, have even greater import than your you know, actions every day, stepping on butterflies, which we talked about. But the, when you're in situations like this, when you're influencing big, big things, you have to make decisions and there's no good answer in this case because yeah the beast could have come unchained and just went on a rampage and just started like chomping the docks and buildings and and it could have been awful but there was no guarantee of that and there was a guarantee on the other side that this creature would continue to suffer and be taken advantage of and that other people would continue to die in order to feed this creature so bill was left having to weigh those options and as uncomfortable as it is for me when the doctor puts a big decision like that completely on the companion. I think that that's not necessarily fair because they don't have the same perspective that he has. Uh, that that made me slightly slightly kind of uh, that was stomach, that was the kill it, that was the kill the moon moment. Yeah, yeah. But I th- yeah, I I read that as being the teacher student thing happening. Yep. Which is yep. which is what you know. The, this these are the things I have to weigh. What do you think we should do? Work through the problem. And and come to my conclusion. I, that's how I chose to read that in the moment as I watched it anyway. Yeah, and I yeah. felt like he was leading her in the direction oh, yeah. that he was yeah. was wanting. So it wasn't like he was just leaving her cold on her own and physically walking away. Yeah, yeah it so. felt like a, a rerun of the kill the moon moment, but without all the head desking mm-hmm. and the upset that the moon was an erg. Yeah, and no, let's not me, even talk, um, speak of it. Irish. Yeah, that that one felt <laughs> cruel. It felt harsh. Whereas here, it was mm-hmm. very gently done. It was mm-hmm. guided. It was a collaborative decision thing. And I, I yeah, I liked it because it was, it felt warmer um, yeah. than, than the th- previous one. And also there weren't any moon eggs involved, yes. <laughs> which really I think it's Im- helped. I think, I think it's important to to have echoes sort of of... of God, yes, I love about- them. Some people Sorry. complain about having so many, you know, callbacks, whether they're intentional callbacks or not, but just similarities throughout Doctor Who. And I think when you're talking about a character like this doctor, who is very clearly going on an emotional journey throughout the course of his run, I think it's important to have an echo to an actual situation where we can look at both of those situations and do exactly what you just did, Liz, look at it and see how it's different. And that's that's how it's so easy. You can draw a line between one and the next and see this is how this character has changed. This is how he deals with things now after all he's been yes. through. I love Although that. It's a, very, it's a very long television series, so it's very easy mm-hmm. to sort of draw parallels based on the flimsiest of evidence True. and make them out to be something. That also, there was another line here associated with the, the big fish that I thought was, um, and 
the decision to to release it that was stupendous, which uh, was if your future is built on the suffering of that creature, what is that future worth? Which is just like ah, oh, mm-hmm. that's yep. a metaphor for everything, isn't it? <laughs> and I suppose since we're in eighteen fourteen, when was Wilberforce? I've forgotten. That's annoying. It'll be very close to then though. Um, but I I think the most um, obvious parallel given. Oh, sorry about my typing. Sorry. <laughs> it's just to find out when Wilberforce was about. Wilberforce um, was alive during the Frost Fair. I, I know who, who was alive. I just want to see when he uh, got the uh, the abolition of the slave trade. The most obvious thing that the fish is um, a metaphor for here, given the time and what we're talking about in the story, and that will be uh, the, the the British slave trade, which uh, was vast and was in many ways what our banks were built on which still exist today so it's it's uh mm-hmm. that that's where the wealth has come from and so 18, having a, a 1807 that, seven years before this episode so is when the slave trade so, act was approved that that would be the end of the end of the slave trades where i mean that so even before that though um, for uh, history people thing here hmm. um, in England England uh, didn't have really have slavery since like the 13th century none it's if you were they, they wouldn't allow uh, slaves on English soil just the little tiny island bit nothing in the empire the empire exactly it's entirely different hmm. but the land all of the legal cases and in Scotland the ones that I'm familiar with it was basically no you can't if you like escape and wash up on British soil or the just the island, then you, you're free and they won't enforce it or any stuff like that, basically. So it's not something you'd have to worry about if you were in London. But then, of course, they expel people from the country for various reasons um, because they don't like them. So it's not exactly delightful and secure. But yeah, basically, the big fish is a metaphor, could be a metaphor for the slave trade. Right. I have I have one last thing that I wanted to bring up before we go to the doctor's office, which is a complaint that I have, and I'm gonna I'm gonna expand this. There during the Stephen Moffat era, at a couple of points, I felt like they have added, and I don't know why they have added wacky sound effects to put a point on on uh, on a scene. Now there are no wacky sound effects here, but it's a similarly kind of broad decision that I noticed and it made me laugh, but at the same time it also made me roll my eyes and it's the moment where our friend Lord Sutcliffe finally meets his uh, fate as the ice cracks right down the middle of where he's standing. And as he plops down into the water, not running or attempting to escape in any way, his hat flies up in the air. And I thought, this is a, this is a bit much. This, is a, this was the kids show comeuppance portion of the episode. And I just shook my head. Like it was like, you know, it was just like one step too far, a little bit too broad for me. Like those sound effects getting added in a couple of times in previous um, episodes where it's like zany. Look at him. He got, I mean, it, it could have been worse. Okay. He could have had like um, a, a bunch of Nickelodeon goo drop on him from the ceiling can or you, something. But can you remember a time when the sound effects happened? Cause I haven't noticed this, but now I want to go and check and oh, see if I find it annoying. I was, I was just doing a rewatch and, and I, I, I think in, Oh, I'm going to come up with them, but there are a couple of wacky sound effects that I remember in the Moffat era where they added in a, a zany sound effect, and I thought that was just completely unnecessary. Maybe in Deep Breath, mm-hmm. is there a zany sound effect? There might be. I don't know. Sure. I feel oh, okay. like 
that kind of thing. Um, and and this scene, and I I read it exactly the way you did, Jason. I didn't notice his hat flying in the air. Oh yeah, his, yes, his, his top <laughs> hat shoots up in the air as he goes. He goes down with the hat, and then the hat like blows back up as a, like a woo. Yeah, I, the, it, I just noticed like the framing on him, like above above his legs, while he's like I don't know, wavering weirdly, and then the cracking knot right between his legs and stuff. And I was like, okay, this is this is a moment for the kids because this is still a family uh-huh. show, and that is totally the kind of thing. You did kill a kid. So I know. So this I felt like this was this was balancing that out to some extent. Like we saw a sweet kid get killed in the beginning and at the end the guy who is responsible for the death of that sweet kid also gets killed but because we need to you know sort of finish off with with lightness and with triumph we do it in a in a wacky sort of way that will you know sort of I think maybe traumatize the children less than than if he yeah. were to just, you know, die in a gout of blood coming out of the water. Well, I, I would have also appreciated the gout of blood or a fountain of blood. I mm. am very for ridiculous blood special effects. But also I really like the hat because it made me laugh. Yeah. So, I need to watch it again and it, watch so the hat. It that's made, a complete pass for me. I it, laughed. It made it's, me laugh. But I also, again, like I said, also shook my head. It's like, oh, that was really a cheap laugh. That was a cheap, broad laugh. The one I'm thinking of, and I, I'll have to look it up later and tell you, but I, I think it's in deep breath. But there, I, I believe there's a scene where the doctor runs into something and there's literally a blonk kind of cartoon sound effect. And I thought, really? <laughs> Really? Do okay. we need the wacky cartoon sound effect there? But it's happened a couple of times. I'll look them up. I'll put it, this on. In theory, I disapprove of that, yeah. but I also haven't noticed any. Right. So I feel now that if I disapprove of it, now I've been I told about it and go uh, and look for it, uh, that I'm being petty. Now I've ruined, I've ruined everything. If I tell you where it is, you'll never forgive those episodes. So maybe I'll just keep it to myself. But I'll, I'll note them the next time I hear them and, and weep. I was doing a rewatch of season eight, so I think it's in season eight, but... It's just amazing. High definition video, beautiful cinematography, amazing art direction, and then occasionally a cartoon sound effect or a floating hat. Either way. <laughs> so, it's for the kids. Gotta it is. It's something. for the kids. And it, and it was mm-hmm. funny. It, I did appreciate that it was the way it was shot where he's like the crack is coming right down between his legs and he's like, ah, mm-hmm. and he goes in the water and his hat flies up and I'm like, all right, you dispatch the villain mm-hmm. in a broad way. Um, Okay, so t- so as predicted, I think by everybody, they get back to the doctor's office at the moment that Nardole is there with the tea. So Nardole, mm-hmm. and then he realizes that they are wearing different clothing and that the doctor has totally cheated on his oath. He's been naughty, and then yeah. the doctor says language. <laughs> like, like the word naughty is a naughty word. Yes. Okay. Uh, the the uh, and then tea with coffee, a bit of coffee in it for flavor. That is gross. I don't care, mm-hmm. Erica. It's gross, 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 gross. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the, and they, and they do. So before we get to our season long story arc, what I really like is that Bill looks up what happened after they left and gets that sort of reassurance of like, how did history go after that? That's nice. It's like the end of a movie where they say, this is what happened to the characters later. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, the, the, you know, they were talking about stepping on a butterfly in, Mm -hmm. in the first scene in the frost fair. And now she gets to find out, you know, what happened after crushing that, you know, butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. But not have the realization that everyone she met there has been dead a long, long well, time. That, that's mm-hmm. that's what I was going to say is that I, I was I was almost <laughs> waiting for her to be like, oh, look, that kid who we the little kid who we had signed the thing. He mm-hmm. did become a lord and then he died th- 300 years ago. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. And, I wonder, and then I wonder, kind of, he kind of can get 
then that that would have tied back in with the whole doctor not getting copped in individual deaths because it's like, well, everyone died a long time ago, sort of. Yeah, and I wonder that's cheery. If if Bill doesn't comment on it or doesn't kind of go to that because she's just so excited that she just time traveled and was able to save the kids that she doesn't take the next few logical steps. But at the same time, I feel like Bill's pretty quick and she seems to be pretty good at taking logical steps. So I'm wondering if she did kind of go through that and has absorbed the doctor's lesson so quickly and is is kind of on board with the fact that yeah because because she's you know yes they are dead now but because she's a time traveler if she were to go back to that time she could just talk to them again so really everybody's she's not just being deliberately miserable like Mm -hmm. at least i was there and i was like Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that that's more sensible so does did it surprise anybody that there's a person in the vault is it a person or or Is it a giant fish with oh. fists? <laughs> Are, wouldn't they be fists? I just like <laughs> the, the fact. Oh, Jason! I'm sorry. Jason. I'm very sorry. It was right there. <laughs> I was I was delighted uh, that the reason that we we got down to the vault to be looking at it in the first place was because the doctor says to Nardole, "Okay, let's flip a coin." Uh-huh. And, and he, you know, he uses the trick that he apparently at some point learned before they left the Frost Fair area, and and totally just cons him into leaving the doctor alone, and he has to go down there, and he's just muttering and talking about being reassembled. Yeah, I never asked so to I be reassembled. That he was going. I was hoping the Doctor was going to do heads I win, tails you lose with this coin thing. That mm. made me sad. That was a that was a missed moment for pandering to my very niche interests. Mm-hmm. Well, so what do we know? We know that the Doctor again has an oath. We already learned that. We we know that there's mm-hmm. something knocking on the vault, and Nardole, yes, never asked to be reassembled, and that's important because you know he was just a head inside a robot when Stephen Moffat decided that he wanted to bring him back. So. He had to, you know, he's had to explain that in dialogue a couple of times. And then the last thing he says, I'm still here. You're going nowhere to whoever is in the vault as the as the, mm-hmm. the banging happens in the vault. So I guess it's not like a time locked vault. There's there's presumably somebody or some fish in there. Uh, just uh, just time stuck. Lordy symbols on the vault thing. Yeah. And yeah, so I don't know how spoilery can we be well, on the thingy. I think we should. I, I mean, Unless you have knowledge, it's just speculation. Yeah. I think we're free. I have no knowledge either. I think we're free to speculate. Mm-hmm. People want to run oh, away yeah. from speculation. Now's the time to run away. But well, if, I will not seen, my... if you've not seen the trailer, it, it, well, mm-hmm. I don't know because I, it's got to be some. You see, my first thought was it's the Sim Master in there. They somehow managed I... to nick him from Gallifrey and stick him in a box because that seems like a sane thing to do but also that's not really much of a surprise for the viewer because it's Mm -hmm. been in a trailer and they knew that trailer was going out and if that's the big mystery of the season that's not very mysterious i like to think that actually i've got no good ideas about what's in the vault (laughs) i I really had to be fair my my best idea is my giant fish i think it should be the giant fish (laughs) see because no one would expect it my idea on Verity was that I just I wanted it to be in a complete MacGuffin. I mm. just wanted whatever's Ugh. in the vault to only to only just like be there as to something no. something that looks like an arc. And then what I wanted it to be was he made this oath because there's some sort of big space butterfly creature that needs a certain amount of time to be in its chrysalis before right. it can come out. And he's basically just doing a favor for a creature oh. that he really likes. And then it gets to you know they check on in on the vault every once in a while. And at the end of the season, it's never become a big deal. And 
and it flies away and it's very pretty. That's the worst. That's nope, the I love it. Worst. It hatched from, I, that's worse than my fish. It hatched, hatched from a moon egg. That's the worst part of it. Oh, that's okay. That's worse. It's, just, <laughs> right. it's the worst okay. idea I've heard, uh, and the second worst. I have two. Well done. I have two theories. One of which is mine, and also probably thousands of other people's. And the other, which I heard from somebody the other day, and I think is a very clever theory. So I'll give you mine first, Ooh. which is less clever. Which is, what if the doctor is about to regenerate, and he doesn't trust something? There's something either he doesn't trust himself, or there's something he needs to deploy his new self for. And so he goes back in time and says. I'm about to regenerate. Stick me in the vault until I'm ready. That's my theory, okay. which is that this is all tied okay, into like the regeneration that because, somehow. I like mm. that because we have had the doctor like trapped in boxes before, mm-hmm. and you know, and I can also say he's been in boxes like he was in a box in Castrovalva during his regeneration, but he was also trapped in the Petorca box. And I do like just drawing parallels. That helps. I find that better. That's better than the other two ideas. And the wacky idea that I heard, which I think is not true, but I love the audacity of it, which is that the planet that we're on is not Earth, but Mondas. <gasps> oh. <gasps> oh. And, the, oh. and Bill is from Mondas. And in the end, at the end of the season, it is revealed that what is happening is the dawn of the Cybermen. And oh the doctor is there to prevent it. I oh, love that idea. And there's no way that that's what it is. But I love that's that idea. so good. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Not my idea. I forget who said that. It might have been somebody in that slack that, that all of us are in. We're Doctor oh, Who fans. Doctor God. Who fans locked I'm in a vault with nothing else to, to do. We'll do just I'm, theorizing of things forever and ever. That's so cool, though. And isn't oh, it, though? On, but it's not... Because <sighs> Mondas was Earth's twin, so it could be exactly like yeah. our world, except just a little bit different. Yes. And then it thought... Oh, be oh it it's got to be something as good as that now if it's <laughs> well, not if it's not you've ruined the season for me if it's not something I probably as good ruined as that. The well in wow. that case i'll get back to you on those terrible sound effects and ruin more things for you <laughs> <laughs> but uh but, but i know it's not I my love, idea because my idea, idea the butterfly my idea was a happy thing in the vault no i like that happy thing i like that i don't know i uh, hated yeah. it I want to say it's regeneration related, though. That's what I want to say. It is regeneration related. We've had lots of suggestions that the way the regeneration is handled this time is different than it's been before. And I suspect, given that it's Stephen Moffat plotting all of this, it will be something involving out-of-time sequence things. So That, of course, depends... I was going to say, Jason, yours depends, of course, on, you know, how much Moffat and Peter Capaldi uh, were lying when Peter Capaldi announced his departure, because um, this was these were all written and even started being filmed. Much of it had been filmed before before he apparently made the decision. Yeah. So I I don't think that that anything regeneration related would be possible unless they were lying to us that whole time and that this is that they his would, departure they would never do that farther back i think mm-hmm. this the situation uh, the situation the decision to make leave would have been made fairly early on because i know how early other decisions mm-hmm. some other decisions to do with big doctor who stuff were made and it was way 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 before there was any also public notice no, i agree I, but I would, he had said he had actually said that it was a, a more sudden decision and that it was not something they they claimed it was not planned for a long time so my feeling is well, if you're Stephen moffat you I, plan for both eventualities and you have a plot a and a plot b and you can flip yeah, between true. one or the also, other based on whether you're keeping you claim it it's the thing that would throw off people who are spending way too much time thinking about this 
So that would help. Okay, I, I now want it to be desperately and profoundly. We're on Mondas, but there's also something in the vault like it's connected with the Doctor's regeneration, that it's also connected to do with the start of the Cybermen. Somehow it all fits yeah. together beautifully and perfectly. But Indeed. oh my God, Liz, if you we're know not the, on you know the thing that puts, so upset. The thing that ties Sorry. it all perfectly together is the butterfly. That's what will do it. Oh. Is the, the <laughs> butterfly. The, no, I, so my, my, to extend the regeneration theory a little bit, if it is related to the re- regeneration, what it allows them to do is have the Christmas special be the doctor going up to the point where we know he goes off to have his regeneration. So we don't have to have the regeneration as a bummer at the end of the Christmas special. It actually allows the regeneration to be revealed sort of in episode 12. And then the Christmas special is back in his timeline leading up to the point where he goes in the vault, maybe. Anyway, that's my that's my timey-wimey theory of how Moffat gets to do a Christmas special that isn't a regeneration as his last episode, because I think that's oh, what he's going so for. Because I, I don't like those. Having just watched the... I did the 12 Days of Doctor Who Christmas, where I watched all the Christmas specials in the two weeks before Christmas this past year, mm-hmm. and the regeneration ones are just... Uh, because, in, in fact, any episode where it has to do heavy lifting for the show's mythology instead of just being a nice Christmas episode, they're not that good. They're just not. Yeah. So I'd rather. This is, I, I, I also think the, the tying of the regeneration, the whole knocking thing, because of Tenet's regeneration being, he will knock four times. That knocking thing also parallels, so therefore with regeneration, tying hmm. together magically, deliberately, parallels, flowing. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, this this closes up Conspiracy Corner, also known as what's in, who's in the vault. <laughs> oh. It's a Mondasian butterfly that's regenerating. Oh, yes. <laughs> Actually, that is acceptable. Okay. That is the only way the butterfly theory is acceptable. Good. This Mondasian butterfly, fine, because we're right. on Mondas. That'd be fine. Great. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we've reached the end of this flashcast. It's descended into madness and speculation, as it always does when Doctor Who fans talk about the show, because that's just what we do. It's what we do. So I want to thank my guests for being here. Uh, two of two of the uh, Verity panelists who I stole again. I just wahaha, like, <laughs> I, I, like, like I planned it, and it's just that you couldn't be on the episode. But Erica Ensign, thank you. Thank you. And Liz Miles, been, thank you. So much fun. Thank you. Bye, everybody. We'll be back next week. I will with new people and another episode and who knows what's next. Watch for the butterfly. See you next time. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who Flashcast on the incomparable.